There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. And we're in for a fast-paced and informative conversation with today's guest, Brooklyn Rainey. Brooke Rainey holds a BA from Colgate University, an MA from NYU, and is currently completing a doctorate in education at the University of Pennsylvania. An experienced teacher, coach, and speaker, she serves as a consultant for schools, camps, and youth-serving organizations around the world. And she's the author of One Trusted Adult, Brooklyn Rainey, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm fired up to be here and excited uh, for this conversation. Love it. I love the energy. Thanks for your time. Glad you could be here. Yes. Brooke, you wrote One Trusted Adult in 2018, and it was published in 2019 ahead of the pandemic. We'll get to the pandemic later, but what motivated you to tackle that topic? A lot of things, uh, but one thing I can pinpoint one moment as a school administrator, um, sitting in an auditorium, hearing the third prevention program of the month. I think we had bullying prevention, suicide prevention, substance prevention. And this term, trusted adult, came up over and over and over throughout all three. And it was in the third session when I heard it that it really sort of struck me and hit me between the eyes and made me pause. I would say a cause for pause, a moment to really question what that phrase, what that concept meant and, and look around the auditorium. I was at a a high school in New Hampshire, and and just look at the students and ask myself, do they see us, the adults around them, as that trusted adult that these programs are advertising us as? And do we, the adults, show up every day uh, thinking about leaning into our role as being a potential trusted adult for these young people? And wow, all three prevention programs said the exact same thing. Is there an upstream solution here? Is there something that we can do better to prevent all these things that we're afraid of? So that was, I think, a big pivot moment for me and in a moment where I, I dug into this concept to try to understand more, one, as an educator, two, as a parent, and also looking back on my own childhood. And why do you feel everyone needs a trusted adult? Since then, I, I mean, I dug in, I was looking for a program to come in and help train my team of educators and help uh, young people understand why it's so important to reach out to those trusted adults and mentors. And I couldn't find anything that would come in and do that work. So I started developing something and doing the research on my own. And, and what you read in the, in the literature is that uh, young people who can name a trusted adult inside the home and a trusted adult outside of the home are less likely to suffer from depression, less likely to abuse substance, less likely to be bullied or to be the bully. Uh, they're more likely to remain calm in the face of challenges, to be able to handle stress, uh, they're more likely to engage in activities, school or otherwise, uh, more likely to volunteer in their communities, and really important in the education world, more available for learning if they can name a trusted adult outside and inside the home. Um, that, to me, that is, that's it. That's the core of it. That is exactly why we've got to pay attention to this. And that's a lot. And to your point, you know, that just makes you a complete whole person if you have that one or two specific people that you can trust. So speak, generally speaking, who is a trusted adult? Is it a parent, a family member, a coach, a teacher? Anyone and everyone has the opportunity to be that trusted adult. Um, first, they've got to be trustworthy. They, a young person has to choose to trust them. So we use the ABCs as our model that trusted adults are accessible, they are boundaried, and they're caring. And in the overlap of those three qualities is where trust is built and where burnout is beat. It's where we can do the best work for the longest amount of time. We have interviewed hundreds of people and we've learned everyone you said, like parents, guardians, neighbors, grandparents, um, somebody whose dog I walked, somebody who I delivered a newspaper to, uh, lifeguards, you name it. Uh, the role is not necessarily what matters. It's the characteristics of that adult and their willingness to make a young person feel named, known and valued. And as we, we grow up and become older, is it appropriate for an employer, an adult coworker to be a trusted adult? For each other? Do you mean like yes. adult yes. to adult? Yes. yes. 
trusted adults. Yes, adults need trusted adults. Um, we start calling them mentors. We start, you know, talking about our network um, and our friendships or our managers or bosses, leaders. Uh, so the word changes, but I think the ABCs hold true, absolutely. And I think that um, connection, relationships, um, uh, feeling a part of something is is a human need, a basic human need of all of us. It's certainly not isolated to a need of a young person, but it is absolutely a prevention uh, tool for for every every human. And I know you're, you're early on in this work, but you know, have you seen those children who have grown up with a trust adult transition into being a mentor or something like that in the professional workspace? It just seems like a natural transition. Yes, yes. Uh, over and over again. And I was actually just on a call with a principal of a really unique school in the DC area. And they have a program where they actually continue. They're, they're a K through eight school and they are mentored by a person in the school, um, like a sort of like a college advisor type, but this is for younger. So um, everyone's got an advisor and the students grow up. And part of the role of that advisor is actually to stay in touch with that young person. It's part of their responsibility to see them through high school as well from a distance, but just continuing to check in. And this has created this wheel where these girls actually then come back to mentor and advise girls from this school. So they've created this cross-generational wheel almost of young women. It's an all-girls school uh, returning to mentor the next generation. And so I think that when people have poured into you, um, you are more likely to pour into others. However, I have met many, many adults uh, working in education and in youth-serving spaces who cannot name a trusted adult from their early years. And to me, those people are superheroes because they are showing up for younger people in a way that no one showed up for them. And I am always blown away. It's about 30, 40% of people in the trainings I do cannot name a trusted adult from their childhood, which is a reminder to me of, of how important it is to have this conversation and do this work. Um, and they, they will say the same. They are in that work because they didn't have that person. And are you able to use that school in DC, the girls' school, as sort of a, a business model or business case study, if you will? in terms of the success and how it can happen and grow generation after generation? Yeah, this is my first conversation with them. And I'm just getting to know them. And I know there's other organizations out there. A lot of summer camps, right? They sure. go to camp, they come back as the counselor. Um, we have that in our in another organization that I work with called Generation Change, where we run a, a leadership camp and a travel program. We see the same thing. Um, yeah, I think it's like the greatest testament to your program and the work you do when people want to come back and work with you to do uh, the same that you did for them for young people. So you talk about working with an all-girls all school. Should the trusted adult only be the same gender? And if so, why? Mm, that's a great question. And yeah, it comes up sometimes. Not not uh, great interviewers ask that question, Chris. <laughs> um, the research will say that when a young person has a mentor who looks like them and sounds like them, there's a greater opportunity to build trust faster. Um, there's probably a similar background, experience. Some things will feel natural and the same, and there's a greater understanding right away. Um, and there's maybe a greater opportunity for that mentorship for the best outcomes. However, it doesn't preclude <laughs> um, anyone from being a mentor for any young person. So, uh, and when we say, you know, mentor is really this very active, I'm going to help you in this certain field or in this in this specific way, whereas a trusted adult is someone who's there for you, right? In the proactive, the helping to meet your needs, um, but also in the reactive when there is a concern, a problem. And certainly gender, race, religion, age um, shouldn't rule out anyone from showing up for another young, uh, young person in that way. As we know, kids face a lot of challenges and temptations today. Is one trusted adult enough in today's crazy, hectic world? No, <laughs> but it's hopefully a sustainable minimum, I would say. Uh, our mission is to ensure that every young person can name at least at least one trusted adult, uh, but certainly more adults on the same page in their corner is what's best. And at what ages as a child develops, is it especially important for them to have a trusted adult in their life? Every age, and even as we mentioned, into adulthood as well, it's so important that we have these connections and relationships. Um, but we're focused really on middle school currently. Uh, we're starting, that's where we've begun because I feel like the middle is often ignored. <laughs> uh, so we are leaning in, digging in big on, on middle school. Um, but 
also realizing the research and in our our own experiences that in elementary school, that's where a young person first learns to even think about trusting another adult human outside of their home. And we see um, high school students actually name a lot of elementary school students, elementary teachers as they are trusted adults still. And so I say elementary is doing double duty, those teachers, because they know the students the longest. For the longest amount of time, they know the most (laughs) students. And those, again, they're like a golden thread throughout the entire experience. They set that foundation. In high school, it shifts to, again, being that sort of mentor role and launching you out the door into this next phase. But middle school is where that liberation begins, where, uh, you know, that's a nice way of putting it, (laughs) where the middle schoolers are starting to really push away from their parents and guardians. And it's healthy. It's natural. It's wonderful. They're starting to look for other influences. And I say that this is our most important time because other things can step in as that as that influence. It can be social media, it can be an unhealthy peer relationship or unhealthy romantic relationship that starts to sway or change the thinking of that middle schooler. And so as I talk about young people like disco balls, they're, <laughs> they're spinning, they're a ball in the air, they're reflecting back all that is around them. And when they start to suspend the parent's reflection on that disco ball, we're hoping it's other trusted adults that show up at baseball practice or in the neighborhood or at school um, that can be there to see say things to a young person that a parent might not be able to say anymore or it won't be heard the same way from from the student. I feel that in my own parenting as I have a 16-year-old pushing back hard. I don't know if you would say the I'm same I'm in the about same your, boat with yeah. you. you know, the same boat. <laughs> yeah. I've seen the whole transition from middle school to high school, having two gone through middle school. So yep. misery loves company. I feel your pain. Yes. Lisa Damore, a, a, a psychologist and a school counselor, she talks about the shift being from jelly beans to Brussels sprouts. That when, you know, in elementary school, when they're young, the parents are jelly beans. And as we, as they get older, they start to look at us as Brussels sprouts. So we might be good for them, but they're not, we're not the most exciting thing on the plate. And I I think she nailed (laughs) that metaphor because that's exactly what I feel like right now, a big smelly Brussels sprout. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have to steal that one. I like that a lot. Yeah. So, you know, we touched on uh, transitioning from youth to being adult, the mentors, how does the role of a trusted adult in that relationship between the adult and the child change over time? You know, you just touched on the elementary school and high school. Does it grow as the child grows or, or evolve, I should say? And what are some of those steps and processes? Yeah. Well, well, two things. One, we've seen trusted adults can be in a young person's life for five minutes or for a lifetime. And there's an opportunity to make a difference. And we talk about ignore, embrace, or exploit. Right. When I've looked at all the ways that adults show up in young people's lives, whether family or volunteer or in a formal um, capacity like school, there's an opportunity to ignore the opportunity uh, and just, you know, move past it. And you have this transactional interaction. And that was that Um, embrace it, which is what we're aiming for and hoping for. And then exploit it. And we can't ignore, and I think we'll talk about boundaries in a little bit probably, but um, the years and and the history of uh, sexual abuse of young people in this country in the places that are supposed to protect them the most in youth serving organizations and in schools. Um, so ignore, embrace, exploit. We are we are pushing for that embrace. And embrace could be five minutes and it could be a lifetime, like I mentioned. In the shift of that, when we think about those, the time uh, a young person's age from from young to old, we are we're looking to shift from doing things for young people to doing things with young people. I think that's the best way to put this journey with young people is that when they're young, we are doing a lot for them. Um, and as they hit middle school, there's a, the big needs of competence and mastery and independence, right? That is what they are seeking. And it's our job to start working with and supporting from the side. So I think we go from driver's seat to passenger seat. <laughs> and then we go from passenger seat really to pit crew. And we, they're just coming by when they got a flat tire or they need a fuel up. They need money for gas, which is very expensive right now. <laughs> um, and, and so that pit crew role is, you know, we're there and they know we're there, but they're going to reach out when they need us. And that's the shift over time. And did you have a trust adult in your life? And if so, who was that person and what difference did they make on your life? I was so fortunate to have so many. I grew up in a household with two parents. 
I had uh, grandparents one block one way, another set of grandparents the other block the other way in a, in a very small town in Ontario, Canada. Um, I had hockey coaches, softball coaches, lifeguards, uh, teachers, really incredible amount of adults invested in my development and my success and supporting my goals. Um, one person who stands out is Miss Johnson, my uh, the school secretary at my local K through eight um, elementary and middle school. And when I really reflect on what she did that made me trust her and that uh, had such an influence on my life is is really making me feel needed. Uh, she had jobs for me all the time. I would go to school early. I would stay late to put up bulletin boards or sort mail or whatever tasks she had. And it was, you know, there was just some music playing or there was some candy or there was, and there was a job to do. And she, you know, appreciated that I offered my time and my skill to that. And so we developed a, a great relationship then as adult and child and now a friendship. And um, her daughter actually attends my camp and her daughter has traveled with me to Peru in our program. And so I've really that wheel, that cross-generational piece we were talking about earlier has, I, I have felt that and been a part of that in my own life. Um, and that's another motivation of this work is is I feel my why is I care deeply about the health, happiness, safety and success of young people. And that is because so many adults cared about mine. And I feel compelled to to pour that forward. Um, I'd love to I'd love to play podcast interviewer for a second and ask you <laughs> back the same question. Did you is there anyone you can name as a trusted adult in your life? You know, I've never thought of it, um, but the short answer is, is yes. Uh, you know, my listeners know I was raised, uh, my parents were divorced when I was very young, raised by my grandparents. Um, and my uncle was only 15 years older than me uh, and, and lived with uh, my grandparents as well while I was going to college. And I would say a combination of my uncle and my grandfather, uh, both stepping in as sort of my father figure. Mm -hmm. So um, something I'd never thought of or realized, but uh, great question. I'll have to reach out uh, to my uncle after the show today and just touch base with him. Yes, Chris, that's we, one of the best ways to keep people doing this and showing up is to thank them. And so we, we always encourage everyone that comes to our trainings or everyone we chat with to go back and thank that person. You have no idea the ripple effect that that will create. And it will obviously make them feel good, make you feel good. And both of you will show up a little bit differently for the young people in your life. Yep. I appreciate you asking that. Thank you. So you're right that schools should assess whether each student in the building has a trusted adult. But doesn't that put the school staff in the role of being a social worker? And if so, how would that work? Hmm. Well, boundaries are a big part of what we talk about. And uh, as an educator who stepped outside my scope and, you know, accidentally played therapist sometimes because I just cared so much and wanted to help, um, I see how quickly you can burn out or, or get stuck in, in um, habits or relationships or in a way with a young person that isn't healthy for them or for you or for the organization. And that really healthy boundaries are the key to this work and knowing when something's beyond your scope and being able to hand that over. Um, what trusted adults can do that stays within the lines is create spaces that meet the universal needs of youth. And we have an acronym we call BASICS. So getting back to the basics, whether, you know, we are educators or parents and guardians uh, or coaches in, in whatever space you're building to work with young people, we've got to set them up in order to hit belonging and membership, ability to contribute, safety and structure, independence and control, competence and mastery, and self-awareness and spirituality. And if we can constantly, we, we talk about it like fish tanks, like, you know, you, you'd, you'd test the, the pH in the water, or the filter, or the lights, or you'd have, you know, how would you set up a fish tank? And it's a lot of the same way. Like the fish don't know the water they're swimming in. They aren't constantly assessing it, right? They're just swimming in it. And young people are just showing up for baseball. But what they don't know is behind the scenes as trusted adults, we are working to meet all these needs. And the beauty is we can do our best work when we get those needs met and we can prevent the things that we're, we're most afraid about. Um, so no, I don't think this work would push you into the role of social worker as long as you've done the work to stay appropriately and professionally boundaried in the work. And just staying with schools for another moment, you shared the story of a principal who estimated the percentage of children in his school who had a trusted adult in their lives. What was that number? And you think it's fairly indicative of the national average? That's a great, great question also. Um, in 
well, I'll go to the University of Rochester because we're both upstate New York yep, <laughs> students. Absolutely. <laughs> um, they they ran a study a couple of years ago uh, that showed I think they they interviewed like over ten thousand high school students, um, and it was across like almost forty schools, I think, and it showed that at the lowest and and this was all a suicide prevention. A program. This was a part of a, a different approach to talking about suicide prevention and understanding, you know, the same thing I've come to understand that this is our greatest hope. This is our upstream approach, that relationships are the answer. Connection is prevention. Um, and so they were running this study to see how many students could name a trusted adult at school. And on the low end, they found some schools only 8%. And their highest was actually 54, 55% of students could name a trusted adult. And what's really interesting is that within that, many students name the same person. So <laughs> we see that it's the counselors and the charismatic that get named over and over and over and over again, which is good and bad. It's wonderful that those people are who they are and do what they do. It can also create an enormous burden on the few people in a school who take on that role of being that trusted adult. And so... Again, our company and our training and our work is trying to spread that out. How do we build capacity and interest and commitment in all adults in a building or in an organization to show up in this way so that it's not just a few people <laughs> carrying the load? Um, so, we, yeah, we've, we've created something called Operation OTA, uh, which is a survey that helps you know, there's three parts to it, and it puts kids in a red, green, or yellow category to say how many trusted adults they have and what we should do if they can't name any and how we could partner with parents and, and make sure that, that young people have someone that they can name. You said our challenge in connecting with kids is not a relational gap, but a language gap. Are we speaking different languages? What is the gap and what causes it? That is specifically in terms of the survey. Um, this one principal you mentioned that I spoke with they pour into students, they pour into relationships, this mission, this social emotional learning, it's all like at the heart of their school. And they were distraught to find out that, you know, less than 50% of their students could name a trusted adult when that is a focus. Um, but what they realized is they actually never talk about it using the term trusted adult. So they pour into, they say they pour into relationships by having structures that allow for a lot of interaction, um, especially informal interaction and play and engagement between young people and adults. Um, but they don't actually talk about being a trusted adult or what it means to be a trusted adult and how young people should seek them out. And so the gap was really not a relational gap. It was this language gap where young people needed to be taught this language. They need to be taught about trust. They need to ta be taught about the ABCs being accessible, boundaried, and caring. And they need to be taught and encouraged to reach out for themselves. We as adults can only go 50% of the way. We can be the most accessible, the most caring, um, the most exciting, charismatic humans, and still the young person has to choose to engage in that relationship. But what we found is if we actually educate young people on the importance of having these trusted adults and how to do it um, and the mentorship relationships, whatever it is, uh, that they're far more likely to move forward with it. And there's a lot of research actually um, on youth-initiated mentoring, YIM, youth-initiated mentoring, uh, that shows a big, big difference in the value and the outcomes when a young person chooses <laughs> the mentor and the trusted adult over being assigned. Now, I'm afraid to say this because my sound engineer, Aaron, is going to take a shot at me during the break, but... I'm old enough to remember the whole Valley Girl lingo of the 1980s, you know, whatever, and gag me with a spoon and, you know, the, the famous Bart Simpson, don't have a cow. That prompts me to wonder, does the language constantly change? And will the language gap always exist in one form or another? <laughs> I just saw Jimmy Fallon had a great video with, you know, language of today, cap, no cap, yeet. It was very different than your don't have a cow, gag me with a spoon. <laughs> so you're right, language Language absolutely changes over time. Lots of things change over time. Technology changes over time. Obviously, young people are growing up in a very different way than we are, just with phones and computers and social media and TikTok. Um, and that all changes and that all shifts. But as I, again, through these interviews of people of all ages, what we see is the things that don't change are the feelings and the needs it's still the same feeling. We needed belonging to membership just like young people today. We needed to 
feel like we are contributing just like young people today. And the same, you know, the same feelings of loneliness, embarrassment, shame, guilt, all of those things stay exact, exactly the same. And we as trusted adults can relate to those feelings. So I may not be able to fully relate to, you know, my best friend not liking my Insta post or, you know, (laughs) posting their story about friend, you know, I, maybe that, that thing hasn't happened to me, but I have felt that way before. And so I am able to be empathetic and compassionate to a situation if I focus on the feelings and I focus on the needs and not the thing that's causing it. You say that we need the four C's, cheerleaders, challengers, comforters, and coaches. I'm assuming one reason we need all four is to have an emotional and perhaps motivational balance in our lives. Is that it or is there more to it? That's definitely one of them. Yeah. Emotional balance. And um, what we're seeing is that when we have interviewed or when we've witnessed these mentor adult to young person, trusted adult to young person moments, we can watch adults shift in these roles from cheerleader to challenger, from comforter to coach, uh, pulling any lever they've got to try to reach <laughs> a young person, motivate a young person. And a lot of it has to, de- it depends on what state a young person is in, how they're feeling. Um, however, we also have leanings within us. So I, with my son, may lean off into challenger. I, <laughs> I know it. He gets in the car after football practice and he's complaining about the coach. Um, you know, I jump into Challenger right away. Well, what did you do? Did you get there on time? I start asking all these questions when sometimes he might need a comforter, right? And I've got to be aware of that. I am fully capable of pulling any of those levers, but I've got to be aware of what my natural leaning is in order to match what the young person needs most. It's always the coach's fault, right? It's always the coach's fault. Always the coach's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We've been talking to Brooklyn Rainey and we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back with author, educator, and future podcaster, Brooke Rainey, about the importance of having a trusted relationship. What reaction did one trusted adult receive when it came out and has it changed over time? Are we going to address that future podcaster We're going to leave that out there for gonna... a little bit. We'll, we'll circle back on that <laughs> later on. I didn't know on. the break was going to be a, a job interview. <laughs> I've, got, I've got the producer sending you an email right now. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, sorry, could you... Re- so Just what was the reaction to one trusted... Yeah, what... Um, reaction that received and has it changed over time? I think, I think people are eager to solutions to a lot of the problems we mentioned. Um, obviously, 
suicide prevention and substance abuse prevention. People want answers. People want a fix. And it's hard for people to believe that they might be that prevention tool, that we ourselves might be the thing that can assist in preventing our, our biggest fears for young people. Um, and so sometimes we hear, wow, this is so simple, or this was obvious, or it was right in front of us, thank you for putting words to it, or thank you for giving us new language, or like the basics, or the fences we talk about, or the ABCs, um, and just providing tools and, and ways for adults to engage in these conversations with young people and with each other. And I would say we, you know, with the pandemic, it was hard because the book came out and there was a whole bunch and there was a lot of speaking and engaging and talking and then a pandemic and obviously uh, the news way, everything got taken over by that for a long time. And so we're just coming back. So it's really hard for me um, to say whether it's changing over time, um, but we're certainly working with a lot of schools and a lot of youth serving organizations who are interested in, in diving into this work. So I, I'm appreciative of their their initiative and, and their commitment to this work. I'm going to go off script just for a minute, if that's okay, and touch on something you've mentioned, uh, and that's suicide. And that's one of the areas that you work in. You know, we just saw the the soccer player from Stanford commit suicide last week. Um, you just mentioned talking about youth suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. Uh, my listeners know I'm active in the veteran space, which is focused on preventing veteran suicide. We seem to have all these pockets or groups working towards this. We know that it's an issue and a problem. And certainly, you know, the pandemic has just blown that way up. Mm-hmm. How do we just start to get more coordinated as human beings, not just affinity groups for, for youth, for, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for veterans, et cetera? You know, what can we do as a trusted adult community mm-hmm. to focus on that? Because I've been saying for two years now that the pandemic is going to create this massive mental health tsunami, and we're starting to see it now. Yeah. And I know you're not going to have all the answers. I just want to pose it out there as an educator and somebody in the space. There's yeah. no silver bullet, unfortunately. Right. Um, but just would like your opinion on that. No, I appreciate the question. I think that what all those groups are doing is so important and so crucial. They they raise awareness, they support families, they support students in so many ways and educate people um, in really important ways. I also think that what I'm asking for, I, I'm calling all of us, right? Maybe you're not going to be a, a suicide prevention trainer, and maybe you're not going to know all of the data and all the statistics, but one thing you can do as a suicide prevention specialist, I'll call it, is to be a trusted adult, is to ask someone how their day is, to, again, help meet the needs of youth, ask somebody about their interests, reconnect in a meaningful way, be present, be playful, um, share your why, share you share why you show up to this work. There's ways that we can prevent, again, those things that we're most afraid about with just our our presence. And so I think that most suicide prevention specialists, the real ones, <laughs> would agree with me that there is work, like there's capacity in all of us to support their work, that it's it's a dual effort. So they, I don't know if it's about coordination on their end or if it's about all of us stepping up. And just to come back to the whole podcast thing, you just created the title of your show, Share Your Why. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for that. I know it wasn't something we're going to talk about, but I just felt that you brought it up. It's obviously very relevant, unfortunately, uh, this week in today's world. Chris, the other thing I would add is, um, I don't know if you've read What Happened to You by uh, Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah, but it was a really excellent read. And Dr. Perry shares, he was there um, to support the, the children from Waco, Texas. And what he realized and he, he shares in this book is, you know, there's a place for talk therapy. There is a place for one hour a week going in and meeting with a counselor um, to support mental health. But it can't be alone. It won't be as effective without a community, without a group of relationships supporting that person and doing the work minute by minute, day by day, um, ongoing. And instead of doing that one-on-one, one-hour-a-week therapy, they actually set up therapists in this in the place where the children were living after this trauma. And they set it up so if young people in a moment needed quiet, they would seek out, you know, the the best listeners. If in a moment they wanted play, they would seek out the the playful 
therapists in that group, if they needed reassurance from authority, they would be seeking out the leaders and those in charge. And it was this meeting the developmental diversity um, and the response of every person in every moment and just allowing, and it's sort of back to the four C's, right? If I put cheerleaders in that corner and challengers in that corner and comforters in that corner, coaches in that corner, and allowed young people to gravitate to what they needed in every given moment, they would bop around, they would move around, they would seek out to get their their needs met. And so, again, I think um, talk therapy, important, uh, suicide prevention, important, and also the rest of us showing up um, as helpful, <laughs> accessible, boundary, caring, trusted adults. So I haven't known you long, and I may be off the mark, but you said this a few times in the first half of the show. I believe that one of your core beliefs can be summed up in two words, and that's go upstream. What do you mean when you say go upstream, you know, especially as it relates to preventing bullying, drug abuse, suicide, and other crises? Dan Heath's book, Upstream, struck me. And I read it right around the time that I was doing this research on, on being a trusted adult. And I, like I said, had heard those three prevention programs in a row say trusted adult. Um, and in there, it's, it's the old parable of the, the babies are floating down the river and, you know, somebody jumps up to save one baby and then everybody comes to help and they're pulling the babies out of the river, pulling the babies and babies just keep floating down the river and they're drowning and they're in danger and the whole community's rallying to pull these babies out of the river until someone says, you know, should we go upstream and figure out why all the babies are falling in the river? And that struck me and his book <laughs> struck me. And in, and again, it was at the same time in talking about trusted adults as this prevention, ensuring every young person has one and can name one as a prevention for all of the things we're worried about. So um, I see, you know, young people floating down that river. And again, whether it's substance or suicide or mental health issues or whatever we're most worried about, even falling through the cracks or dropping out of school or whatever the thing is that's getting in the way of their definition of success, their hopes and dreams. And they're floating down that river and, and we're there exhausting ourselves, <laughs> pulling out one after another after another. Um, I've been hiking upstream for a while now to figure out what we can do while everyone keeps pulling them out of the river and keeps supporting them on the front lines. Uh, what can I do to support those people and, and to prevent the youth from falling in that river in the first place? We've been talking about your 2019 book, One Trusted Adult, but so much has happened since then and you've certainly kept pace with so many of those developments. One thing that you've done is continue to research what's happening in our schools and with our children. The pandemic has been exhausting for everyone, but it seems especially taxing for obvious reasons on our healthcare professionals, but also on educators. Why has burnout been such an issue for teachers and educational support staff? If you could imagine like your job is happening and then it gets flipped on its head and then flipped over again and then flipped again. I mean, education, it, it is hard. Working in a school is hard, really hard. And people on the outside have some kind of, not all people, but lots of people have different perceptions on what happens in a school day, what happens in the summer, you're done at three o'clock. And that is just not the truth. The educators I know are up so early in the morning, getting to school early to prep or to meet with that kid who missed yesterday's class and has to retake a quiz and it's early. And then it just goes and goes and goes and there's no time to even go to the bathroom <laughs> or have lunch. <laughs> Because you're meeting with students, groups, one-on-one, -on -one, and then you're asked to coach or oversee a club. And then at night, you're grading and you're planning for the next day. And you just do that over and over and over again until you crash on your, you know, your break from school. And you usually get sick because your body hasn't allowed you <laughs> to get sick because you've been working so much you can't afford to get sick. And so the one vacation you get you crash and you get sick. And it's just over and over, it's relentless. And then in the summer, they're they're doing professional development. They're, they're bettering themselves to prepare for the next school year to show up in the best possible way for young people. So it was already a grind. It's already hard. It is, you know, the saints of the world are educators. They're in schools taking care of young people. And then a pandemic tips it on its head. And while uh, the adults are you know, sorting through their own trauma, trying to figure out how it's affecting them and their children and their parents and their siblings. Uh, they are also called on to support youth virtually using tools they've never had to use before <laughs> and then throw them back in the classroom, but tell them it's hybrid now and they've got to teach virtually and in person. And so it just keeps changing. And at a time there's, you know, a racial reckoning happening, there's fights over the mask mandates and school boards and curriculum and book bans. I mean, it, it's 
I, I, I don't even have words for what educators are facing right now and still continuing to show up as trusted adults and pour into young people. And yet there's higher rates than ever of burnout and, and people leaving the profession. And it, it's, it's devastating, devastating to see really good educators leave their calling, leave their why uh, to go do something else that does not cause this kind of stress um, because they can't. They shouldn't have to handle it, but that, that is the state of things right now. Um, so I, uh, my heart, my energy, my love, everything goes to educators right now. No, I totally agree. And I'm a little biased. Um, my mother was a deaf education teacher for 35 years, so I totally understand. Wow. And, and back then, you didn't have all the resources you did today. Kids were sort of mainstreamed into one classroom if they had any sort of you know, special needs. Right. And so totally understand that. And you know, I mentioned both healthcare workers and educators you just see article after article about them, to your point, leaving their profession, you know, looking for a new why, mm-hmm. uh, just because I, I can't imagine what they've gone through the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I remember when COVID first happened, you know, in April, 2020, when they did the remote learning and my then seven-year-old son, uh, I remember he and I were at the dining room table and I'm on my laptop and he's on my iPad with AirPods in, you know, and the, for a Zoom class. And that's the new norm. Yep. And so you've got a whole generation of kids now for two years who have been going to school, hybrid, virtual, with a mask, without a mask, uh, on and off again. Yeah. I'm wondering what's going to happen to them over the next three, four years as they as things return to whatever that new normal is mm-hmm. um, and then just sort of getting re-entrenched in society again. I think there's going to be some struggles and challenges there. Yeah, I didn't even get into that. The <laughs> teachers are and have been reporting you know, uh, challenging behavior, um, TikTok trends, uh, bomb threats. I mean, the things that they have to deal with are absolutely out of control. And anyone in any other profession, if they spent a day in a school would say, no way. I'm out. (laughs) No way. No, I'm out. Totally agree. Yeah. So we mentioned that so much has happened since your book was published in 2019. One very big thing was your decision to create and launch a company with the same name as your book. What does one trusted adult, the organization do? Yeah. So the book came out, pandemic hit, (laughs) the book kind of re came out. (laughs) Um, and many schools picked up the book as a summer read for their faculty and staff and team to read together. And we started um, providing reading guides and uh, some virtual training. We're back in schools now. We have been visiting in person and running professional development. Um, I love that part of this work of actually visiting schools and talking to educators who are in it and creating a space for them to share with each other about who showed up for them, who didn't show up for them, how they hope to show up for young people and how we're going to do it together. Um, So we have a half day professional development program. We also listened to the needs of these educators and adults and and, uh, school administrators and said, how can we help? How can we keep this uh, focus all year long, keep this a priority of your school, ensuring that every child can name a trusted adult? And what we heard was they needed support in advisory and mentorship groups um, that post-pandemic, a lot of schools were having more advisory in order to you know, build back that community within their school. Um, but more time in advisory doesn't equal uh, better use of advisory. They need tools. They need ideas. And because we're hyper-focused on the boundary piece and not putting any teacher in the position of a school counselor or a therapist or outside of their limitations um, and their credentials, uh, there's not a lot out there that supports like curriculum or, or a program that supports that. And my background is in educational theater, so I'm all about games and play uh, in order to connect and learn. And so we've been writing um, a program. One is called Ripple Journals. So it's a lead series. There's four journals, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And it's all about personal skills for community contribution. So they're interactive activities you can do on your own, you can do in a pair, you can do as a group. The goal is for the adult to be doing it with the young people and not for, not facilitating it for them, but doing it with them. And a whole bunch of extension activity ideas uh, that liven it up. And again, um, we are all about fostering connection and fun in order to solidify these relationships. So Ripple Journals is one um, branch out is what we're creating for high school. It's a student-led advisory or leadership program. Um, can also be used as a peer mentorship program. It'll come out in the fall. And other than that, we are we are 
gathering tools, the best practices from all across the country, the world, really, and sharing it. Uh, we host webinars for parents and guardians on specific topics, uh, post blogs, and, and give tools um, to groups, again, to foster connection and fun. How can someone get more information about your organization and take it to their community if they'd like? OneTrustedAdult.com is the best way to see the variety of programs that we're offering. Um, and then all the places, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, we are out there. Um, and definitely info at OneTrustedAdult.com. Reach out to us. You're like me. You said InstaPost earlier, and I sort of mesh them all together as, you know, yeah, exactly. TikTok and whatever <laughs> you, you channel. Uh, obviously, you'd advocate for 100% of children to have at least one trusted adult in their lives. But what's a realistic number? And most importantly, how do we get there? 100%, Chris. I am a, <laughs> I am an optimist. I am I am hopeful. Um, I can't see being okay with anything less. I, I think that we, as a society, as humanity, as the world, and then within our homes, schools, etc., I I believe we we have to strive for 100%. Failure is not an option. Nope. So I mentioned you've had a lot going on since 2019, this little book thing, you start your own company, you know, a little global pandemic. <laughs> One of those things is your work on your doctorate. What is your focus and how are things going? Whew. I just saw a, a, <laughs> That a sums it up, I think. Yeah. A t-shirt I almost bought. It said, sorry, can't doctoral student buy. <laughs> that was the whole t-shirt. <laughs> and I think my husband would say, that is all you ever say to me. Sorry, can't. Busy reading. Um, I am in the, uh, the chief learning officer program at UPenn and it's been amazing because for most of my life I've gone to school with educators and, um, now as a, a founder of a company and thinking about scaling learning, I decided to join the chief learning officer program, which is amazing because there's educators, um, but they're adult and corporate educators in this room. And I am learning so much from them. Um, and it's, it's in blocks. So I'm, I'm in my leadership block right now. I have my learning block next. And then I'll shift to master thesis and dissertation in the fall. And I am most interested in studying these four Cs. Again, the modes of mentorship and trusted adulting and parenting, because I think there's something really important and relevant there. And I want to be able to design a tool that helps us better assess the state a young person is in, in order to know which mode to use to match that energy and match that state and help them get to a healthy place. So we'll Good see. Good luck with that. Good but luck. But I hear, I hear you're working on yours too. Tell me more about yours. I am, but I'm a little bit further behind than you are uh, getting mine at the University of Southern California. So fight on uh, in organizational change and leadership. Um, only my second semester, so a lot more work to do. But uh, similar to you is just find it fascinating. I'm in with terrific people uh, all around the country, uh, mostly from the education profession, whether it be in individual schools or state systems. So uh, learning a lot from them and just trying to share or remember some of my experiences growing up with my mother and, and, and sharing that in class as well. And being one of the few private sector people in the program, it just gives me a different lens to look through. And so hopefully I'm, I'm helping my classmates just with a different perspective. But thanks for asking. Yeah, great. So with so much additional information in hand, do you foresee a second edition of One Trusted Adult or will you be writing another book sometime soon? I mean, you have a podcast coming up. So, I mean, there's a lot of work there for you. <laughs> You're really pushing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are deep in development of Branch Out. And so that will be coming out the high school advisory and leadership program. Um, finishing the ripples. And so I've been writing, 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 uh, mostly towards youth and mostly curriculum based. However, I do what we're hearing. One Trusted Adult was really written for educators, mentors, trusted adults who are not necessarily the parent and guardian. I think there's a lot in there that parents and guardians can benefit from. Um, but I am really interested in writing a book specifically to parents and guardians on how to show up for other people's children and how to allow adults to show up, other adults to show up for their children. And uh, how we can ask for help and support when we need it. And again, why even the perfect parent isn't able to do it alone, that this has to be a community approach, a neighborhood approach, a family approach, uh, and that's what's best for young people. You've talked about the four C's a few times, and you mentioned that for your, your dissertation, uh, cheerleaders, challengers, comforters, and coaches. 
can one person effectively be all four C's to a child or to another adult? Not at once. <laughs> and that's the, that's the interesting piece of this. Yes, I believe we each have the capacity to do it, um, each of the modes, but we can't be all things at once. When I'm in challenger mode, I can't quickly shift to comforter mode. A kid would be wondering, like, Jekyll Hyde, what's happening? <laughs> um, and that's why I call it the peanut butter jelly approach. Um, when I worked with a school counselor and say I was in a, a tough moment with a young person having to hold them accountable for behavior, um, deliver consequences, maybe I'm challenging. I could then, you know, walk by her office and say, you know, or shoot her a text or email or something and say, you know, Chris is in need of a little comforting right now. Can you swing by? Right? Because I've just delivered the tough stuff and now we need to peanut butter and jelly smush. <laughs> um, and the same, if I'm coaching, 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 like here's what we, you know, you want these goals. Here's what we got to do. Next steps, blah, blah, blah. And Maybe someone else could provide a little cheerleading to because they are overwhelmed by all that they have got to do to get this done before they go on break or whatever it is. Um, so again, peanut butter jelly approach. I think coaching asks questions like, what are your goals? Let's make a plan. I have an idea that might help. Um, cheerleading is the you can do it. Tomorrow will be a better day. Wow, you must be so proud, right? Challenging is I'm pushing you because I know you can do it. I'm giving you this feedback because I care. And comforting, I'm here if you need me. That must be really hard. Let me know how I can help. And you can see, and I always think, even in my relationship with my husband or with my siblings, my friends, uh, in my child and in my role as a camp director or a mentor, I am constantly floating between all of these modes and reading the situation to figure out what is right in this moment. But this is it. This is how we mentor. It is these four modes. And so I think the beauty in this, we talked about language earlier, is that we can teach young people the importance of having these four modes in their corner, right? And that a challenger isn't just a mean coach <laughs> or a mean teacher. It's someone who believes in your potential and is pushing you to achieve your goals or to help you reach success. And so I love that this is language that can be used with young people and with old people and that both can understand and share. We have just a few minutes left. And because the theme of Next Steps Forward is wellness and personal empowerment, I often end the podcast with a question, what are some other things that our listeners can do this year to feel more empowered and more control of their lives? But I want to turn it around today to bring this conversation full circle and discuss how becoming a trusted adult or finding a trusted adult for a child who needs one can help that child become more empowered, more in control, and feel better about themselves. Brooke Rainey has been our guest today. Her book, One Trusted Adult, is available on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Goodreads.com, and other fine booksellers. Be sure to pick up a copy for you and your friends. Brooke, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much, Chris. And as always, thank you to our wonderful audience for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek Public Figure and on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place, with our leader from the world of business, politics, public policy, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.